Hello and welcome to Front Page Radio with your host, international author, broadcaster, and journalist Dan Wooding, the founder of Assist Ministries and the Assist News Service. Dan, who was born in Nigeria of British missionary parents, was raised in England and later worked for some of Great Britain's largest newspapers. He has been a journalist covering the world for some 47 years now with a focus on persecuted Christians and missions. And now, here's Dan Wooding with today's guest. Welcome to today's program and my special guest is Jeff Thompson. We're here in North Wales. It's been raining a little bit different to Southern California where Jeff is based and he runs Mercy Projects. Jeff, thank you so much for being on the program. Dan, thanks for having me. Now tell us, Jeff, a little bit about Mercy Projects. I know originally it was called Eastern European Outreach and you lived amongst the spies in Berlin (laughs) at one time and even wrote a book about it called Leaving the American Sector. But just tell us your early life, how you got involved in ministering to people in Eastern and Central Europe. Well, Dan, it's been a long time now. It's been uh, many years, but I do remember... uh praying, kneeling at uh, at a retreat at the uh, Calvary Chapel Conference Center in Twin Peaks, California, up in the mountains. Mm-hmm. I felt like God called me to be a missionary. I didn't know where, you know, how do you do that, right? How do you become a missionary? And I uh, I spoke German. My wife and I had both been learning, had learned German in high school and then after that, and but uh, had no idea where to go, how to get started. told my pastor what I felt like God was doing. And, and uh make a long story short, I ended up, on a Lufthansa jet flying to Vienna, Austria, uh, several months later to smuggle Bibles behind the Iron Curtain. <laughs> <laughs> to, to which countries? <laughs> well, I moved to Austria. Our secret base of operations was there outside of Vienna. But, uh, yeah, we traveled all over Eastern Europe back then. So we're is the Soviet Union, Czechoslovakia, Poland, Romania, Hungary, Bulgaria, Yugoslavia, you name it. Dear me. Yes. Now, I, I worked for Brother Andrew, and I did a little bit of uh, smuggling myself. But <laughs> can you now reveal, now that the Soviet bloc has, has disappeared, how you smuggled them in? Well, if I told you, Dan, I'd have to kill you. So <laughs> I we can't really let our, our, uh, our listeners know. But, uh, sure, we had a... A fleet of vehicles. We had campers and uh, trailers and cars with. We had these tanks, gas tanks in the back of a van. In fact, I was caught once with a tank. You could fit two people in that tank. So, uh, <laughs> praise the Lord, I didn't have any people in there. But so yeah, double floors, double walls. Uh, we even had my wife and I um, had a Peugeot station wagon, a small little wagon, and the back seat. Well, your cushion is normally in the back seat. Well, we I'd unzip it. A zipper had been put in. We'd unzip it, pull the cushion out, fill it with Bibles, zip it closed, and cross the border. Amazing. So I, you know, remember pushing my hand on the back seat. It wasn't soft, right? It was hard. It was hard as a rock. And I, I remember watching the guard do the same thing when he got into the back seat. Because they would search everything. They'd take you apart, right? It wasn't... I just uh, wave you on. It was stop you, check underneath your car, inside, take out the back to the front seat. They'd take everything out. And uh, he was pushing on it with his hand, you know, trying to figure out what's wrong with this, you know. So the Lord would do miracles, would blind their eyes and, and close their minds to really understand what was happening. Well, eventually you uh, finished up in Berlin and um, 
you uh, would regularly cross into uh, East Berlin and Eastern, uh, the Eastern Bloc uh, of Germany, which of course is now all united. But what was that like? Why did you go to, to Berlin? That was a pretty weird place to be living, I would think. Yeah, life in Berlin was crazy. You know, a lot of us don't remember or understand, but Berlin was divided into four parts, as Germany was post-World War II. So the Allied Powers Agreement divided Germany up into fourths. East Germany was simply the Russian sector. We were allies with the Russians, the British, French, Americans, and the Russians, you know, fought together against Germany. So when we won, the Allies won, we divided Germany up and Berlin as well into four parts. Berlin sat inside of the Russian sector or East Germany. So Berlin was like an island. The three allies there, then the French, British, and Americans, we called that section of Berlin West Berlin. On the other side, the Russian section was East Berlin. And one day, 1961, they built a wall, which eventually became a 12-foot high wall, 102 miles long, to stop the, their people from leaving, you know, from immigrating out. So it became uh, that symbol of the Iron Curtain. That's, and I would just say the Lord, you know, brought us to Berlin. We had a base there. And, and uh, so I ended up crossing the border. You could get a day visa into East Berlin. And so we would cross over Checkpoint Charlie, made famous back then. And it's the only time, you know, in history when you think about it, that our American tanks faced off, you know, against Russian tanks on Checkpoint Charlie. Maybe at that point we were the closest to a war that we ever have been, say, with the Russians or the Soviets. So uh, that was Checkpoint Charlie. So we crossed that border many, many times. I got, you know, they knew my name on that border. And, of course, uh, had some close close calls there as, as well. So Did you ever get caught going into East Berlin? I did, not into East Berlin, but actually coming out of East Germany. And um, I was caught there and held... Uh, interrogated for 11 hours and uh, you know they told me I was smuggling drugs that I was smuggling cocaine that I was was going to be charged uh, get eight years in prison and um, so I should just go ahead and tell them what I was doing and I knew that they wanted you know that I would they weren't interested in me they were interested in who was I visiting what was I doing who what were we talking about what so that's what they wanted to know about you know they wanted to control their own citizens now, when when the wall came down, you were able to get hold of your file from the Stasi, which is a bit <laughs> like the, the East German KGB. Um, what did you find out? Were you as wicked as they thought you were? <laughs> well, when I started reading that file, I wouldn't have let myself into East Germany either. <laughs> you know, I didn't know how bad I was until I read that. But 223 pages of information, very dry Think of a, a report you do at school or something. This is very dry information, but uh, every border crossing, every vehicle I was driving, every you know the time and the date and uh, what we said if they you know, if they ask questions. So it was all very detailed. But uh, there was one special uh, section of that dossier, and that was their what they called Operation Andreas, and he had a three-page summary the officer who put it together, of what Operation Andreas was designed to accomplish, which was to apprehend me and stop my activities. And they were going to infiltrate our organization. And uh, at the end, when just before the wall came down, they stopped the operation in 1988. 
they said, uh, look, Mr. Thompson's not uh, traveling anymore to the east section, to uh, the Russian section, so that means we've been successful. What they didn't realize is that we had moved back to California, and that's why <laughs> I wasn't traveling anymore. So I was on their blacklist as it was. You know, they would ask me questions every time I traveled yeah. across the border. So, uh, Dan, in those days, we uh, it's remarkable, but we... I remember um, Paula, my wife, putting the baby, you know, on top of the Bibles <laughs> in her crossing checkpoint, Charlie, in that, that little Peugeot with the back seat with the Bibles inside. She would put the baby on top. She would drive over checkpoint, Charlie. They would search her, but they'd be nice to the baby. That's our daughter, Lindsay, who lives in Alaska today. <laughs> and uh, I would take the train over and meet her on the other side <laughs> and see if I'm being followed or not. And we would meet at a certain location at night. I would jump in the car, and then we would drive to the pastor's home. You know? So then you, you had an organization called Eastern European Outreach, and um, you were covering many of those particular countries that had been freed from the Soviet domination. Uh, but um, more recently, you've changed the name to Mercy Projects. Why did you do that? I was <clears throat> speaking at a, uh, at a college in Southern California, and the students didn't know what Eastern Europe was. Uh, it's now Central Europe, or it's the EU. Countries like Romania and Bulgaria and Hungary are in the EU. So they didn't understand the ramifications, let's say, of the name Eastern European Outreach. So um, that was one of the reasons why we changed the name. Another was that we felt God calling us as well to serve children at risk, uh, young people in need at home as well in California as well as overseas. So we just felt it was better to change our name to accommodate, you know, the say, growing of the ministry. Has it been well received, the, the new name? Well, I think so, yes. It's now several years into it, so um, Mercy Projects is our name, and we're not limited, say, geographically, you know, um, by that. So we can do basically anything, uh, and we're still working with children at risk, and uh, we call families at risk. Really, it's a family-based support uh, sponsorship program we're doing in Ukraine and in Kosovo and and uh, sharing the gospel there. We have offices there and we continue most of our work there. So really not um, not much changed in terms of the ministry. One of the things I always found rather unusual in living in America, as I did for many years, was the lack of understanding about other countries. Um, and here you are working now in some of these countries that they know nothing about. How do you mm-hmm. interpret it for an audience that really mm-hmm. knows very little about these other countries? <laughs> As Americans, we are often isolated and insulated you know, from the rest of the world in a way. So we're more concerned about the last tweet from our president than we are uh, a tsunami that hit Southeast Asia. We... That's just our nature, I guess, always has been. But as Christians, we are to be concerned about um, the world and our neighbor and our fellow neighbors, whether it's across the street or across the world. And many churches, of course, have caught that vision. So we're excited about that. I really feel that uh, in my own heart, you know, 
it's easy to uh, maybe build walls in your heart against foreigners. Oh, they don't speak my language. They don't look like I do. But God loves them just the same, just the same as he loves you and I. So we need as Christians to be able to reach out to them, whether they're a foreigner coming to us or whether we are going out to all the nations. It's the same. And now these days, God is bringing them to us to be a witness to, to share the gospel with. I always found Americans, once they understood a situation, were extremely generous. But you had to sort of paint the picture for them. So do you, you do it through photographs, through telling stories? Yeah. Um, you know, storytelling, of course, is a very powerful medium. And um, I just try to share what God is doing, not necessarily what I'm doing personally or um, how great our ministry is, but to just in an honest way, you know, share what God is doing, uh, whether it's through, uh, you know, through websites or slideshows, multimedia. You know, Dan, I want to say, too, I, I love working with Assist News and working together with you and and uh, and being able to get the gospel out and, and to share what is happening in the persecuted church through the medium of Assist News. I think it's a very important voice to the body of Christ, and it's also going around the world. So that's pretty exciting. For those of you who don't know, when uh, I made the decision to move back to the UK with Norma, my wife, to be close to our two boys, because I'm getting pretty geriatric now, <laughs> we were asking the Lord who could help run the new service. Now I'm no longer living in California, particularly the uh, the administration. Uh, but also, you know, redesign it. Uh, it. It was looking a little bit old and tired. And uh, we, Jeff very kindly volunteered and is doing a marvelous job. In uh, You just go to assistnews.net and you can see it. But I wanted to thank Jeff for that. But also, Jeff, my son Peter is very much involved with you. And he was recently in Ukraine helping to run a camp with our granddaughter, Abigail, at the Hearts of Love Center. And I've heard so much about this center for special needs kids. Give us a little pocket history of this place. The Hearts of Love Center in Konotop, eastern Ukraine, is really unique and it's amazing. The founder, director, Lena, uh, many years ago, she and two other moms were praying, wondering how can we do something for our children that have uh, certain handicaps, whether physical or mental um, emotional. So there was no support system whatsoever. The public schools don't allow these children in the schools. They don't know what to do with them. So they're, so as a result, then they couldn't work because they have their child at home with them every day. So they're on a uh, type of welfare and just living in despair, basically. So she banded together with other moms. They began praying. And we, uh, we we met them, heard about them. They heard about us in Kiev. She came to visit Kiev and visit our office and say, would you consider partnering with us somehow? And we actually did. Uh, today, about 50 kids are ministered to or involved in classes on a daily basis at the Hearts of Love Center. They have therapists who work there, physical therapy and other types of therapy. They're helping autistic children learn how to speak or behavioral improvements. They're, um, they're doing some child care uh, for children with autism and others so that parents can work. They have a ton of volunteers coming in and helping. It's an amazing ministry that has just grown and blossomed over the years. And I want to say uh, all, much um, 
of that is also a result of your son of Pete's uh, involvement with them and raising awareness for them and support uh, through our friends in, in England, Great Britain, and others. Um, it's a work that's close to my heart, and these kids really have no other support. If, uh, this was not years ago. This was uh, almost last week. This is uh, about a month ago, but the the school called and called Lena, and it was just talking about, you know, they can't help this child. Can she help this child? They're, we're sending this child to you guys. Now, we're not accredited there. The Heart of Love is not an accredited school, but the schools cannot do it. Mm-hmm. And and their reputation is so great, the mayor now in that town is trying to raise money for them. They uh, are just growing in stature and ministry. It's really quite wonderful. Also, the miracles that are happening, kids beginning to... Um, I don't know, speak and read and write and use computers, uh, parents crying, thinking this was, they didn't know this was even possible. So what you're saying is actually that these these kids with their special needs, whether it's mental or physical, can't get any education, and you've really stepped in with Hearts of Love to, to give them that not only that love, but that education that they need. Well, think of it as uh, your a single mom and it's difficult enough to be a single mom maybe not have a job and have a, a toddler in your home but now your toddler is uh, handicapped or a special needs child some maybe with autism or on that spectrum and you don't know who to talk to there is no one you can't go to your public school and sit with a counselor and find out what the resources are. The county doesn't provide resources for you. Um, You are stuck. Your husband left. If you had a husband, you have nowhere to go. You're not near your family. I have visited moms like this, many of them, living in a room that was maybe 100 square feet with this child all day long. Just they are depressed and in despair. And the Hearts of Love Center provides hope. They have church services on Saturdays. They have Bible studies and prayer during the week. They minister to the mom. These moms don't have any religious background whatever, whatsoever, but they uh, find hope and encouragement you know, by being there. So the ministry is to their children, yes, but it's also to the parents and the family members and the uh, city officials and the school officials. It's really quite amazing. Can people actually sponsor one of these kids or one of these um, mothers? Yeah, you can sponsor a family or you can sponsor the Hearts of Love Center itself, uh, which allows an, uh, staff to get paid. It pays for heating. In fact, our Christmas project this year for 2018 is uh, one of the items in our Christmas project is, is supporting the Hearts of Love Center. Every year, the cost of heating goes up in Ukraine uh, because of the cost of natural gas at the import. And we struggle at the Hearts of Love Center to keep the doors open, to keep those kids warm, to keep those classrooms warm so that the moms and and kids can attend every day. So we're trying to raise some money this year, about $3,000, to uh, pay for the heating just for the wintertime, just for the winter heating bill. Now, besides Ukraine, you do a lot of work in Kosovo. I believe you're just about to board a flight in uh, a couple of days to Kosovo. Well, you'll eventually be in Kosovo. Tell us about what happened in Kosovo, the war there, and what you're doing. Yes, we're 18 years on now in Kosovo. Uh, 1999, 
we uh, Serbia and Kosovo had their war, sort of an ethnic cleansing campaign, and the Kosovars are Muslim, and they were being forced out of their homes, and uh, large about one million refugees throughout uh, southeastern Europe, and today, uh, of course, they, Kosovo is a nation, it's recognized by most of the countries in the UN, and we're helping to church plant there. There's uh, a handful of churches uh, planted now in this previously unreached nation. And I have uh, personal friends there who we've known all that time, all 18 years, who I stay with, and a family that has really taken us in. So, Dan, we stay with a family that considers us family. Mm. Paula and I, our kids, they want to build a house for us or give us a piece of their land to build our house. Oh, you need a place? To, where are you going to retire, Jeff? <laughs> you can, you know, live with us. And and these are just wonderful people that we met um, on a gymnasium floor sitting among 5,000 people with no running water and nothing to eat. They were refugees. And here these refu- former refugees are now ministering to me and to us, saying, what can we do for you? You know, what do you need in your old age? You know, <laughs> what, what would you say, Jeff, is the biggest lesson you've learned from the Lord in doing this, this work? I mean, to go suddenly from Southern California, which is so wealthy and has such a lovely climate most of the time, <laughs> except for these fires and that, to suddenly go into war zones and places that uh, are almost forgotten by the rest of the world. And yet you go in there often at great danger to yourself. But what would be the biggest lesson you've, you've learned from God? Well, I would say, Dan, that um, the biggest lesson for me is uh, that Jesus Christ um, changes lives. And it doesn't matter what language we speak or what country we live in or what our climate is or what crime we have committed or whether we're Muslim or Buddhist. Um, you know, we've had opportunities over the years to deliver a lot of aid, humanitarian aid, to help people, maybe clean drinking water or uh, blankets and clothing or building homes. But I want to focus on the message of Christ, that that is what is eternal. That's what is life-transforming. People are looking for hope and relationship. And we think we want to improve their living standard, but... We need to, you know, be faithful to the message that God has given us. My life was transformed, yours was, and we can't forget that. We can't, like, move on from that. We need to remain at that place where we share that message. And I think that's the greatest lesson, that if we could remain true to our calling, then uh, there'll be a lot of fruit. I think the big lesson I've learned is that the body of Christ is not our denomination, it's not our church, it's not our ethnic background, whether we speak English or whether we speak Spanish or French or, you know, whatever, the Ukrainian or, you know, all these different languages, we're part of the body of Christ. Is that part of your message that we we should take note that these are people that we need to help but also we need to learn from? Absolutely. Um, Like we said earlier, you know, in America, um, you can travel 3,000 miles and you're still speaking English. You go to another state, you're still speaking English. You never have to leave this culture that we're so accustomed to. Whereas um, God has called us to 
go cross-culturally, to go into all the world, to consider people as he considers them. Christ died for our sins, you know, globally, all of us, not just Americans or Brits or in Western Europe. So, yeah, keeping that attitude in ourselves, not getting too, uh, I want to say brainwashed, but not too influenced by the news that we watch all the time, you know, but keeping that Christ-like attitude. Because it can get very depressing at times when, you know, America now is so divided. I've never known a time where uh, people are so angry at each other, and it's so sad in a way because there are so many other things that we need to thank the Lord for, but we need to also focus our eyes on Jesus and his family and not just our different views about um, politics. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you saying that, and... You're right. There's such an intensity right now in America, maybe because of the president, Donald Trump, or because of the Supreme Court nominations. I don't know what it is or the media, uh, but we get wrapped up in it. You know, most of my conversations every day are about politics, not about the Lord. (laughs) And uh, people divide over who you're going to vote for, you know, but there are, um, as we speak, Dan, uh, Pastor Andrew Brunson uh, the American pastor has been released, right, in Turkey. and That's wonderful news. Yeah, and I think he's on his way to the White House maybe today um, to, be, uh, to have an interview with Donald Trump. And um, we forget about people like that, sure. that we have brothers and sisters all over the world, whether they're North Koreans or Vietnamese or some other nation in the Middle East somewhere that are suffering for their faith. And we... Don't even think about them. You know, there might be a little prayer blip on our screen or uh, on a Sunday morning, perhaps at church. But there's millions that are suffering for their faith. And we want to talk about the last tweet from our president. You Mm -hmm. know, when there's people that are dying because they're remaining faithful to Christ. Well, if people would like to know more about Mercy Projects or get involved in supporting some of the projects, where do they go? Well, mercyprojects.org on the Internet, of course, is a good place to start. They can email us, uh, info at mercyprojects.org. You can sponsor a family directly. I love to talk about that because we have these amazing Christian families and uh, that are raising orphans in Ukraine. Some of them, they're raising nine and ten kids that they've taken out of orphanages. So mercyprojects.org, we encourage Christians to make a difference in their country. Our staff is all Ukrainian. Um, we don't have Americans there. Uh, so the Ukrainians are going to be there for the long haul, you know. And we believe in equipping nationals to minister to their own people. Jeff Thompson, thank you so much. Thank you, Dan. You have been listening to Front Page Radio with international journalist Dan Wooding. If you would like a free subscription to the Assist News Service, log on to www.assistnews.net. And if you would like to write to Dan, send an email to assistnews at aol.com. Tune in again for another edition of Front Page Radio on this same station.